obviously the the war drums are, are a pounding. The war drums are pounding. And Donald Trump uh, went on Meet the Press and uh, basically gave a story that I think is hard to believe about why he ultimately, 10 minutes before launching an, launching an attack on Iraq, excuse me, Iran, uh, decided not to decide to abort the mission. They came and they said, sir, we're ready to go. We'd like a decision. I said, I want to know something before you go. How many people will be killed? In this case, Iranians. Mm -hmm. I said, how many people are going to be killed? Uh, sir, I'd like to get back to you on that. Great people, these generals. They said, uh, came back, said, sir, approximately 150. And I thought about it for a second. I said, you know what? They shot down an unmanned uh, drone, mm -hmm. plane, whatever you want to call it. And here we are sitting with 150 dead people uh, that would have taken place probably within a half an hour after I said, go ahead. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was proportionate. It's the first time we see the president. That tracks pretty much what he tweeted this morning. But to see him talking about it, his facial expressions, his language. So uh, I'm happy that decision was made. I don't believe him for a second. I don't believe that for a second. Like, it's not like, you know, you find out 10 minutes, 10 minutes before uh, a strike, how many people are going to die. That's like presented to you right, right off the top. So I have a hard time believing the president that he just had an epiphany and cares about human life 10 minutes before uh, they're going to, you know, strike Iran. But regardless of what, what is true and what is not, it doesn't matter. I'm happy that they did. Um, but that doesn't mean the war drums are not being pounded. I mean, to my left right now is Barbara Starr, the Pentagon reporter for CNN, who literally is a human stenographer. Literally, she just repeats what people at the Pentagon tell her as journalism in fact. That is what Barbara Starr and the rest of the corporate media military industrial complex do. What's amazing to me about this, I think Trump is an expert in the media. He, this man knows how to play the media. And if you notice, he's trying very hard to kind of now be a little bit more mainstream. He just did an interview on Telemundo. Now he's going on Meet the Press. I think Donald Trump is trying to reach, go beyond his base. So the last two and a half years of his presidency have been all about the base. All about the base. Go on Fox News, you know, many, many times, Fox Business, um, and talk to his base. But now he's trying to reach out to those general election and more uh, independent voters to make it seem like he's not a craving lunatic. And the thing is, Donald Trump, when he's reaching out to them, is all of a sudden cares about the Iranian death toll. So I think a lot of this is for show, where Donald Trump eventually will cave into the military-industrial complex, probably attack Iran, possibly start a war if his poll numbers are low enough. But Donald Trump is right now trying to make it seem like, you know, I just thought it was disproportionate. I'm very worried about how many Iranians we kill. No, he's not. He ain't worried one bit. A... a Longtime columnist has come out and described and accused Donald Trump in the 1990s of assaulting her, sexually assaulting her. Um, and Jen did a video as soon as this news came down. So that video is up right here on the channel. Donald Trump, of course, like the 15 to 16 other women 
that have accused him of sexual uh, harassment or assault. He basically said she's making it up. But this came out earlier. And literally, I have not seen it once on CNN or MSNBC. So, of course, you know, I'm inclined to believe the woman. We want to know what happened. We want to hear all sides before we declare people guilty. But this is a trend. I mean, this isn't the first woman to come out saying that Donald Trump groped them and in this case forcibly uh, penetrated her. This is what she is accusing him of. I have not, and Jen, you could tell me in the super chat, I have not seen MSNBC cover this. I have not seen CNN cover this. It was trending on Twitter. Uh, her name, the columnist's name is E. Jean Carroll, uh, who is accusing Donald Trump of raping her uh, in the 1990s. It's a big New York Magazine profile. Uh, here is the cover of it, if you are just coming to this late. And uh, that's the cover. This is what I was wearing 23 years ago. Donald Trump assaulted me in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room 23 years ago, but he's not alone on the list of awful men in my life. So Donald Trump has come out and denied this, which is not a shocker. Uh, he said, Trump said he never met Carol and accused her of making up the allegations to sell books according to a statement distributed through the White House. And we've heard this by Trump before, minimizing women who accuse him of either assault or harassment. Quote, shame on those who make up false claims of assault to try to get publicity for themselves or sell a book or carry out a political agenda, just like Julie Swetnick, who falsely accused Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Trump said in a statement referring to his nominee to the Supreme Court, it's just as bad for people to believe it, particularly when there is zero evidence. So you would think that the president of the United States, a lot of, his, a lot of the accusations against him were made when he, when he was a candidate. He's president now. To think, to think that the president of the United States is being accused of rape and it's not being covered on CNN and it's not being covered on MSNBC. And Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen it on either. This is a news story. You could say, I want to see the evidence. I want to hear her account. I'm not ready to declare him guilty. But it's a news story and it's not being covered. You have to wonder why they are not covering it. Is it because they are afraid to lose access to the president? Are they afraid that he will come down on the media? Are they afraid that it will take away from the Iran warmongering that is going on? Because in my book, can you imagine if Barack Obama was accused of sexual assault? It would be on the news immediately. Same thing for George W. Bush. Same thing for Bill Clinton. So I, ha I have no idea why this is not on the news. Obviously, I believe uh, we would like to see evidence, but there is a trend with this president of assault, harassment, and basically tossing it away as if, oh, I didn't meet the person or, or oh, they're just trying to get publicity and yada, yada, yada. So we'll monitor it. But as of now, I haven't seen them cover it. And that's a damn shame. You know, I got to tell you, I'm so busy that it's hard. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I'd love to tell you about, but I can't tell you about it at all. So. I didn't, I, I kind of missed this, but you know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden this week is 
saying that he wasn't talking about, you know, having a relationship with the segregationist Senator Easton, that he was saying, he was referencing, you know, we just got to bring it back to the civil times, uh, Eastland, James Eastland, excuse me. We just got to bring it back to the civil times when, you know, senators like me, Democrats, could work with even people we hate, like uh, segregationist James Eastland. And of course, the media, as I showed you yesterday, has been just eating this up, eating this up and defending Joe Biden. Oh, are they defending Joe Biden over at NBC? Which makes sense, because NBC, which denied status quo credentials to cover the debate, uh, wonder why, um, NBC is owned by Comcast. And Joe Biden's first fundraiser was with a Comcast lobbyist. Go figure, right? So Joe Biden uh, is pretty, pretty uh, well shielded by those in the corporate media making it out Oh, he wasn't talking about actually having a relationship with segregationists. He wasn't talking about actually, um, you know, liking what, you know, feeling like you should even communicate or, or deal with the segregationists. He was just saying, we got to be uh, civil. We got to be civil, even with people we hate. Well, uh, new evidence suggests uh, Joe Biden was a little bit more than just civil with segregationist senators. Uh, Joe Biden actually was trying to get pretty racist legislation passed with the help of segregationists. This is a letter that Joe Biden wrote to the Honorable James O. Eastland, a segregationist senator, one of the senators that Joe Biden referenced at his private fundraiser that he was uh, with uh, Wall Street bankers, hedge funders, finance people telling them how wonderful they are this week in New York City. This is a letter that he wrote in 1977 to Chairman Eastland. I want you to know that I very much appreciate your help during this week's committee meeting in attempting to bring my anti-busing legislation to a vote. I am hopeful that the bill can be voted on at the next meeting. And with your assistance, I am confident there is sufficient support for approval by the committee. Again, many thanks for your help. So, I just saw Tulsi Gabbard's tweet about this. I happen to like Tulsi Gabbard a lot. Um, I'm a benefit of the doubt. Maybe she has not seen this letter that Joe Biden wrote to uh, Senator James Eastland in 1977. Basically... He's, Joe Biden was a young senator. James Eastland was an older senator. And Joe Biden was basically trying to get the, ch the committee chairman to help him get his anti-busing legislation voted on. Now, what was that about that Joe Biden said? I have a long, rest, uh, a long record of civil rights and there's not a racist bone in my body. I'm sorry. Joe Biden this week made it out to be that he was only talking about working with those even we hate what they stand for to pass legislation that is good for the people. Well, I don't think, I'm pretty sure writing a letter to a segregationist senator, and you know, for those of you in the cheap seats who don't know what that means, a segregationist senator means 
black people are inferior. I'm pretty sure writing a letter saying thank you so much, Mr. Segregationist Senator, for helping to bring my anti-busing legislation to a vote, I'm pretty sure this would this would probably be in the category of actually working with a segregationist to segregate. Am I reading too much into that? I'm not being sarcastic. Please tell me in the super chat. Am I missing something here? Because the corporate media, you got Joe Scarborough yesterday bending over backwards for his buddy Joe Biden. You had anchor, MSNBC anchor Stephanie Rule, who's a fuck, ugh, she's terrible. She used to work for, I think she used to work for uh, CNBC or Bloomberg. She's a Wall Street lover, loves Michael Bloomberg, loves. This is literally Joe Biden in the 1970s working with a segregationist senator not to pass nutritional food programs for children, not to pass, you know, legislation that gives old people more heating in the winter, not to pass legislation that gives single mothers more resources, to pass legislation that would prevent black students from being bussed in to white schools. And we are getting segments on cable news and in the New York Times saying, oh, that's not what Joe Biden meant. I mean, if I'm being fair, if I'm being fair, this revelation came out from the Washington Post, so I have to give them credit. At least the Washington Post has this. They found the letters. The recipient of Biden's uh, entreaty was Senator James O. Eastland, at the time a well-known segregationist who had called blacks an inferior race and once vowed to prevent blacks from and whites from eating together in Washington. The exchange, revealed in a series of letters, offers a new glimpse into an old relationship that erupted this week as a major controversy for Biden's presidential campaign. But the letters show a different type of relationship, one in which they were aligned on a legislative issue. Biden said at the time that he did not think that busing was the best way to integrate schools in Delaware and that systemic racism should be dealt with by investing in schools and improving housing policies. Oh, so Joe Biden felt that the best way to help with systemic racism was separate but equal? Is that what Joe Biden meant? Because that's what it sounds like to me. We don't think actual integration is the way to go. We think investment in the separate schools for black people is the way to go. And how do I know that he's talking about separate but equal? I give you his eulogy for known racist Strom Thurmond. This is a man who in 1947, the New York Times ran a lead editorial saying Strom Thurmond, hope of the South, and talked about how he had set up reading programs, get better books for separate but equal schools. This is a man who was opposed to the poll tax. This is a man who I watched vote for the extension of the Voting Rights Act. This is a man. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me get this straight. All the media, most of the media, has been pushing that, oh, Joe Biden, his little thing about segregationists this week, he was only talking about, you know, working with people 
anyone, even those we disdain, we got to work with them. Even though we disdain, we got to work with them. Well, I just showed you. He wasn't talking about, he didn't just work with this person for, on stuff that would actually help people. Yeah, sometimes you do work with people that you don't like or, or have poor values to get things done that actually helps people. He worked with this man to prevent black people from being bussed into white schools. This is racist. Capital R, racism. And working with a racist. And I'm sorry. I like Tulsi Gabbard. I'd like to give her the benefit of the doubt that she has not seen this letter. But I really don't know what she's talking about in this tweet. This is Tulsi Gabbard. Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden did not celebrate or coddle segregationists. His critics have unfairly misrepresented his important message to score cheap political points. I agree with James Clyburn and Joe Biden. In order for Congress and the president to get things done for the American people, there, there needs to be civility in Washington and in the country. The ability to work with those who we disagree, even those who hold some views which we abhor, in order for Congress to work for the American people, we need to find common ground with each other. That is not possible without civility. We don't need another president who is going to continue to divide our country. We need a president who will unite it. United we stand, divided we fall. Um, again, I would like to give Tulsi Gabbard the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to reach out to her campaign after this and ask if they have seen the letter I just showed you. I would hope she has not. I really would hope she is not, because I don't really know how you could defend Joe Biden after seeing that he wasn't like just working with someone he abhors. He was in agreement with this racist segregationist, at least on busing, which was racist. So I don't know how you slice it a different way, uh, Congresswoman Gabbard. Again, maybe she hasn't seen it. I just, I just saw this letter earlier today. I didn't know about it, so maybe she doesn't. But I think she's wrong. I think she's wrong. So let's hope she hasn't seen it. Um, because, and by the way, this, I got to be honest with you, and I'm going to be demonetized, so please let me know in the super, uh, you know, hit the swear jar. Give me a f***ing break already. Enough with this civility bullshit, okay? You want civility? Oh, let's go back to the good old days where Democrats that blow Wall Street and Republicans that blow Wall Street could get in a room and break bread together and talk it out and bring you, you know, bipartisan legislation like the bankruptcy bill, like the Patriot Act, like deregulating Wall Street, like repealing Glass-Steagall, like the, like the crime bill, like uh, welfare reform, like extending the Bush tax cuts, like Iraq war. If only we could just be more civil so we can get more stuff done for the American people. Give me a f***ing break. The problem isn't civility, folks. The problem is when Democrats and Republicans actually work together, terrible shit gets done. Not for the American people, but for their donors. I like Bernie Sanders' idea. Because Bernie Sanders said in 2016, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not going to become president and then go try and, you know, compromise with Mitch McConnell. I'm going to go to Mitch McConnell and I'm going to say, hey, Mitch, look outside the window. I've got thousands of people here telling you what they want and what they need. 
And if you don't give it to them, we're going to throw you out of office. The time for civility. This is, this is what wealthy, privileged people say. Oh, we just need civility. And I'm not attacking Tulsi Gabbard. I like a lot of what she stands for. I think she's wrong on this. I hope she hasn't seen that letter because it doesn't make sense if she has. Um, but this is what privileged, out-of-touch uh, idiots think. Do you think the people struggling out in Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and all over the, that voted for Donald Trump? Yeah, sure. Some, a lot of that was racism, but a majority of it was economic despair and frustration. And they got conned by a con man in Donald Trump. I was there. I saw it. He had them at NAFTA. That's why Donald Trump won, because he talked about repealing NAFTA, said, I'm going to reopen your plans. I'm going to bring your jobs back. And if you live in those states, that's a really appealing message. And the other person was saying, stronger together, whatever that means. It's so preposterous. The problem isn't lack of civility. The problem is our government has been bought off by corporate America. Our government is bought off by lobbyists. Our government is an auction. Civility. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is clearly, you know, somebody the other day, uh, a friend of mine said, I think you're being too strong calling Joe Biden, Joe Biden racist. I don't think I'm being strong at all. To me, you know, the media focuses a lot only on racist rhetoric. But there's also racist policy. So when you look at Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, everybody was focused on his blackface yearbook picture, which is horrible. It's disgusting. It's a racist thing. The media wasn't focused on the fact Ralph Northam was allowing a massive pipeline, a fracked gas pipeline and its massive compressor station, which was going to emit methane and a lot of other things, to be dumped on a historically black community called Union Hill in Virginia. He was going to be dumping a compressor station and allowing a compressor station to be built on top of the graveyard of slaves a historically black community. This was wrote, written up in Rolling Stone. Jen and I were down there uh, about a year ago. That's racism. It doesn't only have to be blackface. It doesn't only have to be uh, using racial terms. Policy is also racism. And we, we have systemic racism in this country. So that's kind of baked into the cake and nobody thinks like, oh, Joe Biden wrote this guy a letter basically saying, thank you so much for helping me to get my anti-busing legislation a vote. But what is anti-busing? That's basically saying I am against school integration. I am against black students being bused into white schools. I don't give a damn that Joe Biden said, oh, I think that's not the way to integrate. The way to integrate is separate but equal. So let's keep them separate, which means black people are inferior and that we can't have them with us white folk. It's disgusting. Absolutely abhorrent.